Hello and welcome to the Creating a Positive Impact podcast. My name is Sam Hamilton-Turner and no, don't worry, no one else has heard of me either. This is a podcast where we chat to all of those great people and businesses in the world who are actively trying to make the world a better place with their own unique contributions. And I think we need a little bit more of that if you ask me. So today I'm joined by Ed Rigg from Eager Drinks. Now, Ed noticed a problem with the way that fruit juice was made, purchased and stored in a pub that he lived in. We discuss what he did about it, the underlying problems that exist in that industry and perhaps a change that we might see. Now, problems with the fruit juice industry weren't immediately apparent to me, so I was keen to know more and get the answers from someone who conducts themselves with relentless transparency and honesty. Edrig, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? Um, very well, Sam. Thank you very much for having me. Good stuff. No, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, let's just dive right in, I think. So for those of us that perhaps don't know who you are or who Eager is, just give us some background. Give us the, the story, a bit about you and how Eager came to fruition. Excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good pun. Um, no, I um, started Ego uh, in 2007, was the sort of main uh, kind of, I guess, the proper push forward. We'd done some exploratory work to try and see if there was a market for what we thought there might be. And um, and that, that proved that it was possible. And so, yeah, it's been quite a long time now getting on for, you know, well, more than 15 years. And um, it's been a, a fantastic journey and a fairly random one to start with, really, because I was just sort of living in a pub and thought that quality fruit juice was lacking from the bar industry and, and decided to embark on a journey to try and solve that problem, which is a kind of uh, strange way to go about starting a business i guess normally you maybe start an industry and and try and find some solutions in that but i didn't know anything about uh, soft drinks and um uh, it was a first person i picked up the phone to to talk about apple juice was the kindest most lovely person i'd spoken to in business on the phone i thought i must be going in the right direction wow who was that just out of interest it was it was the, uh, the guys from apple cider who, oh no um, way wow okay yeah 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 it's, it's amazing how many absent. good ideas come out of pubs isn't it <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people sit in a pub and decide they're going to conquer the world but um i was actually living in one so it wasn't and it was um a friend of mine's pub and uh so i was doing the odd shift and things as well so um it was uh it was a it was a, a very good turning point for me and um i'm really glad that i went on that journey mm. No, that sounds great. So, I mean, t tell me a bit more about then what it was that that kind of struck you. You know, you say you're in you're in this pub. You say there's no good quality. I think that was was the word you used. Fruit juice in pubs. So, what what was it at that point for you that that you noticed just just wasn't quite right? Was it was it this refrigeration element that I'm sure we're going to come on to? Was it the quality of the ingredients? What was it that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, there was obviously decent juice in supermarkets at that point in time, um, which was the, the leading brands that you see today. Mm. Um, and 
uh, they weren't available in pubs. Pubs were still stocking from concentrate fruit juices. Um, and I was like, well, why is that? And we, we looked into kind of the backstory of what was going on. And uh, it turned out that bars just didn't really want refrigerated fruit juices because it took up valuable space for their beers, wines and spirits. Um, and also the staff were, you know, easily, it was easily accessible to everybody. So everybody would drink it. It's quite expensive commodity product. So it was from all, all around they, the, their feeling was that they just wanted to have it out of sight, out of fridges. Um, and down in the cellar was the best place for it. And they could deliver it or get it delivered with all of their beers and wines and spirits um, on a non-refrigerated truck. They were, didn't have to rely on um, the sort of chefs or anything like that to order their juices for them, which was a big, you know, you think that a pub works in a fairly cohesive way, but the, mm. the sort of chefing team and the bar team are quite separate in terms of their ordering and all the rest of it. Um, and so you are then reliant on someone to do that for you, which can sometimes go wrong because it's not that high on their priority list versus getting the steaks delivered. Um, fruit juice is like a secondary thought to the chef. Um, yeah. No, so we, we solved a few of those problems for, for them. And um, also everything was turning in terms of quality. Like people wanted good quality um cocktails so all cocktails were becoming more sophisticated so they wanted the right ingredients for those cocktails like fantastic uh purees that were funkin were doing um and obviously more premium spirits that were starting to hit the market as well so all of it was was premiumizing and we we fitted into that that you know that that change wow brilliant and so my my assumption then is starting in the pubs being received well there kind of brand starts to spread a bit and now you kind of moved into the sort of b2c world as well right just direct to consumer that can, that can yeah buy we, i well. think we've always um focused on the d2c um um sorry uh, the b2c is something we'd like to do and we do do in a small way so we do a bit of you know some smaller independent retailers um, whole foods and and um uh, other independents and but for us i think the opportunity is really in d2c which is the this idea that juice can become um, a subscription product um, and that we can ultimately change habits um, once you realize that eager is exactly the same product as as the leading brands in the supermarket for not from concentrate what's more commonly termed as fresh juice um, there's no reason why consumers wouldn't just order it um, via the internet and have it delivered to their home and have the flexibility of, like our bars did of just storing it in a cupboard and putting it in the fridge when they need it, particularly with uh, juice-hungry teenagers around who, uh, who will, uh, like any opportunity, drink every conceivable drop of juice in the fridges. Yeah, 100%. Totally, totally know what you mean. So, I mean, let, let's break down then some of those issues that you, you've already kind of touched upon, but some problems that you saw going through. One of them is definitely the whole refrigeration element. I know that you've, you you speak about that quite a lot. Um, what what was it that you saw going wrong and how you worked out that, you know, that is a problem for the world. How do we combat that? For me, I think it's about 
transparency and being and not pulling the wool over the consumer's eyes. Like I think it's if if refrigeration is needed to keep a product fresh, then absolutely, obviously, put it in uh, the fridges. Um, the problem I have is that I know that my product is the same as the leading brands in in the chilled section of the supermarket for not from concentrate juice. Um, and we prove that people love our product because we've sold, we sell 35, 40 million servings a year Whoa. across the, across the, the, the hospitality and, and, uh, and, uh, office space and travel space. So we're, 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 we know that people love our product. They repeatedly buy it time and time again. Uh, we know it stands up to the leading brands, but ours isn't refrigerated. Um, so I think generally we feel that refrigerating juice was a serving suggestion that the big brands decided they wanted to do because it made consumers think it was fresh and the reality is is that fruit juice has been shipped from various parts of the world um, sometimes been in the supply chain for a long time um, and it isn't fresh um, it is just cold um, and so uh, my view, I always start from a point of view of you have to be transparent with the consumer. This consumer doesn't want the wall pulled over their eyes. Um, and we, we feel that we are the only brand out there that's really telling the consumer in a direct way the truth of what, what, what fruit juice uh, should, should be and how it should be viewed. Mm. I mean, that, that certainly rings true when you see on the, the side of the packaging, like, yes, there is sugar in this, drink responsibly. Like, I think that's a, that's a huge one, right? Like, I can only imagine that some of the responses you get are, well, it's fruit juice, of course it's healthy and good for me and I can drink loads of it. But it's full of sugar. Like, it's, it's, it's fruit, right? Like, that's, you know, how, how do you kind of find the response to that? Well, I think the hard thing is obviously, you know, the industry has told people that it's one of your five a day and that fruit juice is good for you and you should have it as a balanced diet. So I think you're, you're always up against um, very ingrained um, ideas of what a product is. So some people who have maybe thought about it a bit more and have looked at the reaction of it has in their small children when they let them have it or if they've talked to someone who's a diabetic who says that orange juice can literally save my life um he starts to realize that if it's that sugary um that it, that people it can be a very useful tool in in for, for diabetics and also you know watch their children bouncing off the walls um, after drinking too much of it, they realize that it actually is full of sugar. And I think more and more people say, well, it's fructose sugar, it's fructose sugar, but the body doesn't actually understand the difference between it's not that intelligent, as brilliant as our bodies are. It's not, it can't decipher between different types of sugars. Um, and I always say to people, you know, go and try and eat, um, you know, there are X amount of oranges let's say four oranges or the juice of four oranges in that glass that you're drinking go and try and eat four oranges and see how you feel um and and i think that that's the that's the kind of telltale test and and, and obviously with an orange you're getting the fiber um if you eat it which obviously helps to counteract the sugar so it's it's a pretty you know it's it's it, it, Look, when I started out in this industry, I believed that I was creating a product that was good for you. So I'm not, by no, we are not perfect, um, but we have over time decided that it's absolutely becoming far more clear 
that fruit juice is sugary and that we should look at it a bit more as a treat as opposed to being one of your five a day. Wow. Yeah. And it's kind of striking to hear that, I guess, from from, you know, a, a fruit drink supplier. But like you say, it's all about the, the transparency, right? That's kind of at the, the heart of what you do. So it makes it makes total sense. So, I mean, do you, do you find you get much uh, pushback or resistance from from either you know potential consumers or from some of the other big players in the game that rely on on, on the way they do things with, you know with the refrigeration and the kind of getting people to consume it on mass. <laughs> well, look, I think we're still pretty small in terms of uh, consumer awareness of our product. So we're 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 we we you know yes we get pushback of course because people don't love their orange juice and they don't want to believe that it is full of sugar so you're never going to convince everybody because that's what they want to believe and i think that's the same across whatever you talk about whether it's the environment or whether you talk about any issues that are divisive and contentious people will reject it if it doesn't either if it scares them or they don't want to make changes to their life or whatever and i think we definitely come up against that but my, you know, my my overriding feeling is is that, you know, that probably is 50-50. You know, some people respect that we're being really honest with people. And some people think that, you know, don't want to engage with us because it's um, not what they want to hear. And that's that's fine too. Like every, We're not trying to tell everybody what they should do or shouldn't do. Um, we're just trying to present another side of a story um, that has been told to consumers um, and we feel it is the more honest story mm. that's always the key isn't it sort of trying to tell people they should or shouldn't do is a very hard messy thing to do and it's, you know people don't always listen i think the the show don't tell method is a lot more convincing right just do do the good thing and and people will kind of catch on so i think that's a a great approach and unfortunately it's one of those things that can't be forced which is really hard when you know you're doing a good thing and you kind of you know you want to see more people making that change and it, it can be really tough but i think i've just found from previous kind of experiences that just doing a, a good thing and not really making too much of a song and dance about it is weirdly persuasive i think <laughs> oh i really hope so sam i mean look we, we we're definitely you know not a purpose-driven brand. We're, 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 I could say we're a mission-focused brand, but we're not a purpose-driven brand. Like we still believe in the fundamentals of doing, running a business, you know, making a profit, being able to employ people because you make a profit because you deliver something that people want. Mm. Um, I think that our mission is just to do something that is done in a way that we feel that we can stand behind and be proud of. Um, and I just think. Uh, you know the the question mark around health and sugar it will 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 go on but there isn't it, you know around refrigeration um it is unquestionably uh, a, a, you know not correct that you can't get the same product unrefrigerated because we've proved that that is not the case and and if you go to france for example tropicana is not in the fridges they are in the long life aisle um okay. so yeah uh, it's uh, a kind of and also they have recently launched in the long life aisle themselves um so you know that's great we want brands to do different things do but what we want to be is the brand that that people have delivered to their house and they just get juice in the way that they get 
uh, other products that they've got used to buying on subscriptions, such as coffee and oat milk and dog food and loo roll and, you know, all the things that we, you know, a lot of us now do very kind of routinely. Mm. Well, I mean, do you happen to have, an, absolutely fine if not, do you happen to have any, like, numbers or, or, or data on kind of the impact of ref- what essentially wasted refrigeration that doesn't need to be there? Do you know what you can kind of... Yeah, we, 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 essentially. yeah, I mean, we, well, Tesco's did a big study on it, um, some years ago with, uh, man, with Manchester university, they have a, a sustainability, uh, department, uh, it, within Manchester uni and they worked out that it was 20, it was, you use 25% more CO2 to, um, sell a not from concentrate fruit juice versus a, um, not ambient, not from concentrate fruit juice. So, you know, it's not, a small number it is you know 25 percent and that we equate we, we we worked out roughly the total amount of, of um not from concentrate uh, fruit juice sold uh, in in the uk and it, it equated to about a hundred thousand people's annual co2 consumption so not just a hundred thousand people drinking fruit juice but they're driving their cars heating their homes um buying wow. clothes um traveling it was equivalent to about a million plane tickets from london to new to to, to new york so you know it was it was a you know that's just needless you don't need to do that it's just become a kind of a habitual thing um and as i say it's a serving suggestion rather than a necessity wow they are they are not small numbers <laughs> That's uh, they, a lot no, of waste. That's, you know, imagine if that's just here, what it would be in 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 America, um, where the, the, this sort of, you know, this kind of idea of refrigerating fruit juice really emanated from. It was very much an American idea, um, and obviously, still in America, there's huge amounts of refrigeration of juice unnecessarily as well, and the uh, the impact of changing that would be probably. Well, certainly five times, if not even 10 times the, the impact of doing it here. So we're talking, you know, 10 million flights or a, a, a million people's annual. Wow. Uh, wow. Just in America. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, on, I suppose on that then, if we start looking forward but for you and for the company, like are these markets that you're looking at, at tapping into and doing exactly the same thing there? Is that kind of part of the plan? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when I looked at trying to find the solution, I looked at Europe and what they've been doing or not from concentrate fruit juice, you know, fresh juice, as as it's called. Um, And they've obviously been doing it for years. So, I mean, yes, we would like to feel that we could go and compete in Europe uh, as a brand that had some some strong messaging. And uh, I guess one of our point of differences is that we um we, we we talk about juice as a treat um so we don't know how that message would resonate with customers in europe because we don't sell there but obviously in america there's a there's a it's a double-sided um conversation because they obviously do refrigerate fruit juices um and i think it's just for us it's about really finding uh the right uh mechanic and the right customer who 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 has a, an interest in this and i think lots of um uh, juice drinkers are in their teens and early twenties, 
Um, we te- our palates tend to change when we get to sort of 25 plus and juice is less appealing to, to, to adults as we get older. Um, and a lot of time parents are buying juice for their kids. And so, you know, if, if we can add a bit of control to people's lives, like if you can buy juice and not have to store it in the fridge and you can put it out of sight and out of mind, um, then hopefully that would you know, mean that parents take back a little bit of control. I know I've got a teenage daughter and, and, uh, and trying to hide sweet things from them is a constant battle as a parent. And so, our, our, you know, I think that's a, a universal message the world over. Um, and I think that kids will be kids and parents will be parents. Uh, and they're, they're, it's, the, it's the Tom and Jerry game of cat and mouse that we all have to play with them, which is some, amusing, but sometimes extremely frustrating. Tell me about it. Yeah, I've only um, not too long just had our first our first child. We've got a little boy, and I'm kind of thinking about these things. You know, having to introduce certain certain things to him that I don't necessarily want him to have, but I don't want to keep from him either. Because I think if you do that for too long, and they find it their own way, and they come, you know, really yeah, yeah. quite There's... set on having these things, and I guess juice could easily become, you know, that that. Kind yeah, of it's thing. the modern world, like phones. It's sugar you you you've got to sort of drip feed it into them while you're well you're slightly in control because if they suddenly find it when they're out of your uh, out of your control i mean all hell can break loose um but we but it's it's an impossible job and, we, and i think for parents the world over we're constantly battling with um, more information about what's good for us and what's not good for us. And on the other side, we've got all these things kind of coming into our vision, like, as I say, phones and sugar and da da And we, we, we have to try and navigate those very tricky waters. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so something that's just occurred to me then, if you've kind of seen seen some of these problems in the, the, the fruit juice industry, do you see parallels and, and similar problems in, in other parts of the market, perhaps in, in what you might call fresh food or, or maybe even more closely related, like sort of smoothie products where, yes, we're made of fruit, but there's there's a process there, there's there's manufacturing. Have you kind of got your eye on that, that at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I look, I think the, the, the food industry as a whole and, and has probably... Uh, got quite clever at deciding how and when they add things that maybe make them more appealing to customers. I mean, our view is that, you know, obviously if you're going to, if you want an orange juice that is fresh, you then squeeze it in your, in your kitchen, you get the pulp, the fiber, you know, that is the ultimate way to consume fruit juice and we could never compete with that and we'd never try to now not everybody wants to squeeze oranges every morning not everybody has the time people like the taste of it so you offer people convenience but convenience always comes at a price you know and i think that we we as humans tell ourselves that it's okay because the industry's told us that it's this way or that way and it's good for us but reality is the simple thing is convenience comes at a a cost Um, and that's normally to our health in terms of um, we don't really know what is exactly the recipe of all of these things whether it's pasta sauces or condiments or ready meals or you know all of them probably have been um, formulated to uh, improve uh, uh, people's reaction to them and a lot of the time it's salt sugar and fat that are 
very appealing to humans. Yeah, big time. Those things that, you know, they, they feel good in the moment, those treats, but aren't doing any favours further down the road. It's those kind of um, decisions that sometimes you, just, you don't even realise you've made them. You know, you, you make the unhealthy choice because you want the sugar hit and it's uh, it all kind of compounds when you make enough of those decisions. <laughs> It definitely compounds, and I think that's the thing. It's a really hard thing to regulate because, as I say, I'm all for people making choices for themselves, mm -hmm. and I don't believe in over-regulating a market. Okay. Um, um, I think it's about brands being honest, businesses putting forward a, a, some transparent ideas, trying to do the best thing they can, um, and, and then consumers deciding whether they want to go with that brand or the other brand. Um, I think change can happen if 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 business decides that they they want to you know maybe step outside of the the normal uh, kind of brand or industry norms um, and that's where we've gone we've said well we we would like to you know present this side of the argument and um and 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 show people this is what we believe um, and mm -hmm. we hope that that re we hope that that resonates with consumers um, rather than puts them off, because we're certainly not telling consumers what they should and shouldn't do. We're just no, trying to be no. just trying to be transparent. I just wonder whether. I mean, it's just just occurred to me then, to be honest. But I'm largely very with you on the kind of over regulation thing. I don't necessarily think it's a good idea or, or works. And telling people what we you know can and can't have isn't necessarily a good idea. But I do wonder whether maybe some some stricter regulation or rules on what companies can say i mean let, let's say you're you know all the the, the transparency and the, and the messaging you've got if there was tighter regulation on not what's being sold but what's said about it and how it's sold like you know you can say whatever you want but you have to be honest with these things like is it actually fresh is it actually healthy like maybe some tighter rules on that do you think that would work or be a good idea yeah i think definitely that would be a very very good idea i think um I don't think you should tax people out of enjoying things that they like, but I do think that you can you definitely create some framework around what you say a product is. As I said, like fruit juice, when I started selling it, I, I was in under the belief that it was a healthy product. So it, I don't think it's really simple to kind of just go, well, today it's this and tomorrow it's that. Because of, often things change over time, people realize over time, and it takes time for, it's like an oil tanker, it takes time for things to turn around. You know, it's not like a speedboat, you can't just go, okay, because businesses have built up reputations and things on that. So I, I think it, 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 you can create parameters, like maybe in just as an example, saying that brands can't say that fruit juice is one of your five a day would be a really good example of something they could take off the packaging. You know, they don't have to go as far as us and say that it's got sugar in it and it's a treat and should be, you know, but it would certainly go one big step towards having another look at whether it really is one of your five a day. Mm. I think that's, a, that's a, a very good point, a very good idea. Um, let's just just sort of move slightly away uh, from the from the business side of things. Um, perhaps move on to a more personal level. So, what what motivates you? What 
drives you and, and keeps you working every day at eager and kind of trying to to achieve this this mission that you've set out i think it's as you know it's always about enjoying what you do getting up every day and feeling fulfilled and rewarded and feeling like you're doing um, something that that makes you happy i think that's one of the secrets to life is like enjoy what you do you know because you're going to do it more than anything else for most of your life and so i i love the challenge of of making a product <clears throat> shipping it from different parts of the world and putting it into a carton and all the logistics that come with that and um, marketing the product and selling and going out and seeing people like it it's it's been an incredible journey i mean when i started i was in a van and driving around london in the morning i would do all the paperwork and take the orders and then in the afternoon i would go around and drive and drop things off around london and i it, it, it was a really sort of just dynamic experience because you would go and see someone you get immediate feedback you'd get this it was it was like it was almost what we were meant to do if you're interested in sales like the the idea of just sort of like posting some samples to someone and then sending them an email you know never really filled me with that much excitement it was always about getting out and getting people to react to what you'd produced and getting that feedback and them going oh it's great yeah we'll buy a case oh great i'll be around tomorrow and drop it off um and and i got to know london really well because i literally drove to all four corners of london um dropping off um tons of fridges so i think just you know for me getting up every day and just and, and loving what i do and and I'm lucky that we've created quite an outsourced model, which was by necessity, really, because we didn't have a lot of money in the early days. So taking on full-time employees was quite a risk. Um, and I've built up a very sort of outsourced business model. So again, that just gives me a lot of flexibility to to be able to work from anywhere because we're not all uh, based in the same office. And, and, I, and I guess that from my point of view, I know a lot of people found that during COVID they, they really enjoyed remote working. But for me, I've been doing it since I started at Eager. And I find that it's a really, it's very good for stimulating ideas because you're not, you know, you're out about sometimes doing different things, but you've always got your phone so you can always respond to things. But at the same time, you're not looking at the same four walls. And, and so if you've got a problem, you can it can really help to, to try and unlock some ideas and things like that. And just the flexibility and the variety. Um, so I love that about my everyday life. And, and, and that, that that's a real fantastic part of it. And just also it gives me a bit of flexibility to spend time with my family, you know, do things that that other maybe office based you know, pure office-based employees aren't able to do that. I can pick up my kids most days and I use the time on the way to pick them up to make phone calls. And so I use it as productively, but it's a different type of working. Like, so because a lot of people don't pick up the phone that much anymore. It's, you know, all done through emails and messaging. And so I, I love the phone. People always find me annoying because I call them on the phone a lot, but, um, but I love it. And I hate scheduling, like, video calls and things like that as, as useful as they are i just want to like pick up the phone and call someone when i want to call them you know what it, it's so funny you say that you sound exactly like my, my business partner sam jump one of the greatest guys i know exactly the same he, he phones everyone all the time no text very rarely emails but you know what i have to give him you know credit 
his ability to to invest in relationships like that is is kind of second to none and it goes a long way he's a like very well respected liked loved guy you know he's one of the, one of the best people I know. and i do think a big part of that is the phone call thing just picking up the phone and having an actual real on the fly conversation rather than scheduled you know uh, calls and, and emails and, and texts and things so i think maybe maybe people find you annoying but i wouldn't be surprised to, to also find out if actually they're they're quite touched and actually they do appreciate the call i think keep doing it well <laughs> I, I say that that is it's 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 a it's a becoming a lost art and mm. um and i i really hope that 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 younger people find the love of making a phone call because it, it is yeah as you say it's it's with so sort of social media and and WhatsApp and text and and, and email based that it's it's one of the the great joys to pick up a phone call and uh, or to to have a phone call with someone that becomes something that you you, you goes off in different tangents and can become a really special interaction in your life and so I'm I'm all for it keep keep the telephone going. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's something I need to get better at myself, to be honest with you. Um, so I think we'll, uh, I've just got one last thing to, um, to, to ask you before we wrap up. And this is kind of looking forward and, and outside of, of yourself and business. And what we like to do at the end is to give you a chance to, to give a shout out or mention to someone that you think is doing really great, great work to, to make the world a better place that can be a, a person that you know or don't know have heard of or a business or an organization anyone that you think is worth mentioning and that we should all go and, and check out and, and see what they're doing it's a really good question I, I did think a bit about this I think for me personally it's not really like one person it's a sort of group of people if you like um, and that's the sort of over 40s who are still sort of finding their feet um, I think so much of you know, we've talked about phones, and but so much of modern culture and uh, and and press and media is obsessed with youth. And I think that that sometimes, as Baz Luhrmann said in Sunscreen, the most interesting people still don't know what they want to do when they're forty. Um, and I think that uh, my own life, I think of uh, I, I've obviously been really lucky to to, to do eager, and um, I've worked hard at it, but. So many of the people I admire really sort of came into their stride in their 40s, whether that's, you know, Warren Buffett or Tina Turner or Sam Walton from Walmart or so many people who who really found their feet in their 40s and had, had you know, not that they hadn't been a success and they hadn't done interesting things up to that point. But I think there's a real... Uh, kind of uh, beauty in, in in a bit of experience, and um, obviously Steve Jobs coming back to Apple. I think would he have been as successful if he hadn't come back after going off and doing other things and and being a bit older and being able to be a bit wiser? Um, and and so for me, that's the those are the people that I I, I really admire um, who who aren't in a rush um, and as um, you know, as is often said, but uh, but uh, Charlie Munger said about uh, Warren Buffett. He said what he was asked what made Warren Buffett, um, you know, so special and different. He said, well, he said, you know what? Nobody likes to get rich slowly. 
Um, and uh, and and Warren's just to me one of the greats. He's just you know he's he loves what he does. He doesn't seem to be impacted by um, by by material things too much. And money is a as a he said as he said to Bono. I have no utility for it, Bono. I have no utility for it. Um, so uh, to me, someone that wants to make people's lives better by helping them invest their, their hard-earned money so that they can enjoy their retirement but not be kind of caught up in the trappings of wealth um, and, and, and loves what he does and seems like a very decent man, um, he's one of, the, one of my heroes, I guess. I love that. Yeah, it's a great answer. It's not the answer I was expecting, but it's brilliant and it, and it makes a lot of sense. I think there's almost this strange kind of, you know, you've got to have your life worked out by the time you're 30. Otherwise, you're, you, you're stuffed and it's all too late. But it's, it's abundantly not true. It's just something and maybe we've um, been, been told for a while. But I do I very much like the message there that that is not the case. Um, there's, there's always time. And maybe there's something in, you know, kind of, doing it at that kind of point and, and waiting that long because you have more life experience to kind of you know have a have a more macro approach to some maybe some problems you've seen and um some you know found some more meaning in your world i suppose well i think it's i think it's just that probably priorities change and so you maybe view how you what you want um differently and and, and i feel it doesn't mean that you still don't want to be successful and, and achieve things but the 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 maybe the motivations change a bit and i do think it's important that you do try in your 20s and 30s i don't mean just like sit on a beach and then get 40 go right now i'm gonna you know like suddenly you know build a build tesla from scratch <laughs> yeah. um it is it is you can't you know but all i'm saying is is that don't be obsessed with building a scalable business right from the start like learn you know, learn your craft, you know, like a musician, you don't want to blow out first album, you know, you want to be able to evolve into the, into the, into your craft and learn how to get better at it. And then hopefully as you get better at it, you've got more to say and, and then you can write music that gets better and better. I mean, look at someone like Chris Martin, who's just, you know, still writing fantastic songs and, um, you had a, has, uh, has just got, his craft is just getting better and better and, and 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 also his live their live shows Coldplay's live shows are just unbelievable. Yeah, they're a, they're a sight to behold, aren't they? I really like the you know the early days stuff, the story you know ducking and diving around London and the grind, and it's great when you hear founder stories of things like that and how they never forget about them. It's like, and they always look back on it with you know kind of like that was their favourite bit. You know, it's almost a shame that I've... they scaled. <laughs> well, that's what I mean about not not rush not rushing it not not having to scale fast and 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 you know because often if you scale really fast what happens is is that you don't actually learn the basics because you, you it just all happens so quickly you're not quite sure why mm. and so to replicate it is much harder and ultimately if you scale and then there's an exit um or it gets so big that you're not the best person to run it you then go well that's great but well how did i how does i really know what happened there so how how do i do it again um and i think that's why you know when say steve jobs went away from apple and went back to um and, and built pixar um uh, he knew when he went back to apple how what because he, he, he i don't think he really understood up to the point when he left apple 
but then went and did Pixar, learned what it was to build a great company and then went back to Apple and applied that with, with that knowledge. And I think that's why I say it's not, it's not such a rush. And I think same with Elon Musk to a degree, like with PayPal and, and, and then putting it all on the line and building the companies that he's built. Um, another, you know, inspirational story, really. Mm, yeah, I think there's there's something in, you know, you've got to have a certain amount of time to make mistakes as well. Only, like you say, if, if you don't know why something's worked, um, I don't think you've had enough time to to make enough mistakes and learn from your failures. Yeah, I think, I think, I, 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 mistakes is a real buzzword. And I think it's something that kind of goes along with sort of like uh, super scaling, if you like, super scaling mm. businesses, mistakes. I think, I think people that, you know, I don't, you'd ask like Steve Jobs, did you make many mistakes at Pixar? And he would probably say not that many because like they just nailed it and they made unbelievable films. But did you not, did you learn? Yeah, of course you learn because you're doing it and you're learning what works. Um, I think it's, you know, this idea that we're, we're only as good as our mistakes is a, it's a concept, but it's not, I, I think it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a misleading concept because the idea is not to try and make mistakes. The idea mm. is to try and make sure that you, you know, you, 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 you think through the problem, you take your time as the, the, my dad's got a building business and his, um, one of his foremen once said to me when I was doing a bit of laboring in the early days, he said, always measure twice, cut once, you know, like it can often be if you're super scaling a business, you're like running around like a crazy person, you're cutting like bits of wood everywhere. And obviously those are like loads of mistakes. Um, and you, you do learn from them, but they're really expensive. And actually, mm. it's just about, again, not being in such a hurry and hopefully, you know, making less mistakes, but you don't learn any less because you just put a lot of thought behind it and try and figure out what all the, the different permutations would be that would mean that it wouldn't be a success. Mm. No, I like that, actually. That's, that's a very different way of looking at it that I've not really considered. Maybe it's just sort of in the... Uh, you know, don't don't be afraid to make mistakes because I think maybe that's something that can stop you from starting in the first place. Maybe that's something else, isn't it? I think you, you, yeah, definitely you're going to make some at some point. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're always going to make mistakes. It's that yeah, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Is the I think the buzz that should be the buzzword. And I always, you know, the the the, the ability for you as a person to be able to convince yourself that there is going to be no mistakes. It's just going to all go perfectly. It's like the greatest gift for someone that wants to start a business because if you sit there and go, well, this and this could go wrong or this could go wrong, you'd never start it in the first place. And so like when I started, it, I thought, oh, it's going to be, it's going to go swimmingly. I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be huge. We're going to be selling fruit juice all over the world. It's going to be massive. And then of course you, the, the, the reality dawns on you and you, you do make mistakes and it doesn't go quite as you, how well you thought, but you're in it at that point and, 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 and then you just hopefully just enjoy the ride, however big or small it is. You, you, you get some real satisfaction out of enjoying being in, in, the, in, in amongst it and trying to make it a success. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up now. And uh, the first thing I wanna say is just thank you very much for your time. Really do appreciate you coming on. It's been great to hear about your story and, and eager and where you guys are going. So that's been really, really insightful. Um, is there anywhere we should be looking if we want to find out more about you or more about eager? Any any uh, links we should be looking at? 
Well, hope Sam, thank you very much for having me. And hopefully this is enough about me um, on this podcast. Um, uh, but if you would like to find out about Eager, then um, please go to eagerdrinks.com and um, hopefully people will, you know, t- decide to get some fruit juice on subscription or buy it once and see how much they like it and then subscribe and we can become a regular part of people's lives. I do hope so. I'll have the links in the show notes for you. Thank you very much for your time, Ed so there you go that's the problems with fruit juice and more importantly i suppose the industry at large perhaps big brands haven't really been totally honest with us about the impacts of their products no surprises there i actually really enjoyed ed's business insights which i wasn't totally expecting but obviously makes total sense he runs the business after all he is a businessman i really appreciate his approach of not telling consumers what they should or shouldn't do and that may well become a bit of a theme on this podcast because as much as we want change being forceful just often isn't the best tactic we can often marginalize people and push them further away and i think the way we communicate these issues is arguably just as important as the issue itself if we want change we need people on side and that means being effective not just correct That's my two cents anyway. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, check out the show notes for links to eager drinks and maybe give them a go. Until next time, take care of yourselves and maybe give someone a compliment if it feels appropriate. To many, it'll mean more than you'll ever know.